Hi everybody and welcome to the weekly message for The Table. The Table is a church in Davenport, Iowa where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. I'm Pastor Rob Leverage, and it is good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. I wanted to share with you uh, the gifts that my kids made for me for Father's Day last Sunday, just because they make me happy. Uh, my kids made me Bibles out of Legos. So here we have um, uh, the, the Bible. Here, this is constructed out of Legos, and it does open up inside we've got the verse for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son made for me by my children and of course no bible collection is complete without your pocket new testament here we have a lego uh mini bible for for the uh for the lego scripture enthusiasts who are always on the go so anyway father's day gift for me makes me happy thought i would share that with you our scripture today that we're going to have our, our, our message on is a little bit of a longer uh, passage than we sometimes read for the Sunday messages. And that's because it's, it's actually kind of like two stories that are combined into one. So this comes from the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be reading from chapter 5. So let's open our hearts and give a good listen. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him, and they pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, Well, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead 
but sleeping, and they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, this, this passage is actually two miracle stories combined kind of into one narrative. When I was a kid in church, I remember hearing about the woman who was healed by touching Jesus' cloak. And I remember hearing about the little girl who died and was brought back to life by Jesus. But I, I don't think that I thought of these as being two parts of the same story which is what they are. This is actually a stylistic trademark of the Gospel of Mark. And people who like to geek out about the Bible talk about this particular thing a lot. So forgive me if you do not like to geek out about the Bible, but just by way of a, a very brief explanation. There's this thing, it's a phenomenon in Mark. And, this, and there's actually a word people use to describe it. Um, intercalation, okay? And it's this thing that Mark does in Mark's gospel, okay? Mark starts off describing an episode of Jesus doing something, right? And then something else comes up and kind of cuts into that story. Jesus goes off and engages with that thing, and then the narrative swings back and, and, and then goes back to the first thing, and there's this thematic interaction between two interwoven stories. The way that Mark describes the Last Supper of Jesus and the disciples is actually kind of like this format. But there's also a story of a fig tree that is not bearing fruit. Jesus sees the fig tree, he gets mad at it, and it withers. But there's this, then there's the story of Jesus overturning tables in the temple uh, the chasing the money changers out of the temple you may have heard that story well in mark that story is actually interjected into this other story about the fig tree and this is a literary technique whereby the author of this gospel combines different stories so that together they they kind of function together and they draw attention to certain things as a unit, okay? So in our passage today, we've got these two stories of healing and restoration. They are two stories of faith, and they're different from each other, and they involve different people dealing with different things, but because they come together and, and you have this thing with the lady, with, with Jairus and the daughter, and then it pivots over to this other thing, uh, this lady with the bleeding, and then this pivots back to this thing, um, then it's presented with a power that it might not have if we read the two stories separately. And so as a recap, we have Jairus. He's a leader in the synagogue. He's a person with a, a considerable status and authority with the, the community. He's an important guy. 
Okay, And he comes to Jesus, though, in a desperate state. He's begging for help because his daughter is sick and she's actually dying. And Jesus and his entourage um, then start walking to, to Jairus' home, and they're surrounded by crowds of people as they go. And in, the, in this context, a woman comes up to Jesus, and she touches him. She touches his, his clothes, actually. She has been afflicted by a bleeding disorder that has made her life miserable for a long time. And she believes that touching Jesus' cloak will heal her. It does, <laughs> but despite her plan to touch him without being noticed, Jesus immediately knows that something has happened when, when she touches him, and he stops, and he looks around, and he's like, huh, who, who, who just touched my cloak, right? Um, while they, so then she comes forward, and while they're interaction, interacting with each other, some people arrive and announce that Jairus's daughter has died. Jesus then continues on to the house, enters, shuts out the crowd, and raises the little girl to life again. Okay, So these healings, though, they're not just interwoven stories. They are actually important to one another, and we'll, we'll see this. You may have noticed, actually, a detail um, that the woman has been suffering from her medical condition for 12 years, and later we are told that the girl who has died, is 12 years old. Um, these are signals that the stories kind of matter. There's a connection between these two healings. Okay? One theme of transformation that is engaged with both of these healings is how Jesus' ministry overcomes norms about holiness and worthiness. And we see in these stories how the gospel overcomes exclusion and shame. Okay, So in Jesus' time, blood, and in particular, women's blood, was a great taboo. It was seen as unholy. It was like a problem thing, and women who were bleeding had to fulfill elaborate processes of separating themselves and dealing with themselves so as to not ritually, religiously defile the people around them. It was, it was a pretty unfair system, right? Um, but the woman that we read about in this gospel passage has a condition of bleeding that would not stop. Now, this would be really kind of miserable <laughs> under any circumstances, but in the context of the society in which she lived, her medical condition means that she would have been in a kind of permanent state of being ritually unclean and socially untouchable. And you could see how this would destroy a person's life because it would make her an outcast, right? And that is why it says in this story that she had spent everything that she had trying to find a cure for this ailment that she had, okay? But another source of religious uncleanness and social revulsion was corpses, 
Okay, the bodies of those who had died were thought to have the power to ritually defile anyone who had contact with them. And just like with all kinds of ways that a person can be, you know, unclean, um, there were elaborate rules and steps of, about how a person uh, could get one's ritual purity back after having contact with another person's remains. So on this level, the two stories of healing that we read in today's passage are actually scandalous stories in their way because they involve Jesus having contact with two people who are supposed to be untouchable. These are scenarios that, you know, certainly the first communities of people who heard these stories would have been primed to expect that a holy person would avoid dealing with these kinds of situations because you wouldn't want to jeopardize the holiness of a holy person by having them have contact with people and situations like this. And what we see in this story is that Jesus says, no, 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 no. These ideas that we have about people being off limits uh, because they are gross or bad in some way. This, is, this does not apply. This is not, this is not the truth <laughs> that I came to proclaim. And this is not the way God actually relates to people. Okay, um, But it's still a very powerful social norm, right? Because we see when the girl dies, right? And it's no longer just a sick child. People come and they tell her father, Jairus, not to bring Jesus to the house. Because why take the risk? Why get this holy person, Jesus, exposed to this impurity when it's too late anyway? Right? And it's also why the woman who touches Jesus in the crowd, she, notice, she only wants to touch his cloak. Mm -hmm. She doesn't plan to touch his skin. And then she is terrified when she realizes that he knows that she touched him because she assumes based on her experience dealing with unkind people in an unkind world, she just assumes that Jesus will be furious with her, right? Because she is unclean. And she has made deliberate contact with him. And that's why it's, it's really astonishing that the reaction that Jesus has. He is not angry, but compassionate. And he tells her that what she has done in reaching out to him, this is not a transgression. This is not a sin. Reaching out to him is actually an act of faith. And he says to her that this is a good and a holy thing, right? And that this indeed is what will make her well, okay? So in these healing 
stories, Jesus emphasizes a truth that you and I may forget even to this day, that God cares for people more than God cares for categories and labels that we devise for people. Okay? God sees and loves the precious soul within the story of suffering and exclusion and fear and need. And while human beings and human institutions tend to judge and demonize people who are coping with trauma and hurt and who don't come in a nice <laughs> package, right, and who don't um, live up to certain standards and expectations for what is right uh, about a, a person in the world, right? Um, God, God doesn't play by those rules. God embraces, God loves, and God heals. Okay. Another theme that ties the two healings in this passage together is a loss of power. Okay, a loss of power. In the scripture, we have Jairus. He's an important man. He's got social capital because of his leadership role in the synagogue. Okay? We can imagine his family enjoyed certain kinds of privilege in the society at that time. But in the illness of his child, he has to confront his own powerlessness. He has no control, right? He can do many things in the world given the role that he occupies, but he can't protect his little girl when she gets sick. Many of us have had experiences like this, uh, especially if we're the kinds of people who, who try to organize our lives with great intention. We're, we try to be very responsible. We try to take every precaution. We try to minimize every kind of risk. And sometimes we're able to convince ourselves, <laughs> right, that we are in control of what happens in our lives, right? But then something occurs that we cannot prevent and we can't control it. And it's just so terrifying. It's just so devastating. Sometimes bad things happen that we can't do anything about. We, they are not our fault. They don't have any sense to them. They just happen, right? And despite our, all of our effort to be in control, we find ourselves uh, at the mercy of what is going on all around us. And that's the shape that Jairus is in when he falls to his knees before Jesus, begging for help for his daughter. Now, you may not have noticed this, but the text suggests that the woman who touches Jesus in the crowd may also have experienced some power and privilege in her life, which she has now lost in her need. Okay, The two characters seem to share that in common because so the scripture says that the woman has been seeing a lot of doctors for many years which suggests that she may have been wealthy mm -hmm. because poor people wouldn't be able to pay for treatment by a physician 
In this way, the story is highly relevant <laughs> to our contemporary conversations about access to medical care. The woman had money, she had resources at one time, but because of her medical condition, she had lost everything. Mm -hmm. She is now broke from doctor bills. That's a scenario that we are familiar with from our time. And so in both of these scenarios, people who knew some power, some privilege, have been brought low in their devastation. Now, sometimes Bible stories emphasizing God's justice will talk about the rich and the powerful being humbled. And this is a way of describing God making things right on earth. The rich brought down to size serves them right. Okay. But in the stories that, that we read in this passage today, um, quite the contrary. The, the people who have lost their power or their resources, they haven't actually done anything wrong. They, they did not abuse their power. They did not withhold compassion per se. And the comfort that they previously enjoyed is not characterized in the scripture as a bad thing. Okay? These stories simply highlight the fact that comfort and security can be quite fragile, okay? They can be fleeting. They may be here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And this, this is a tough thing for us to accept about life. We want to assume that things are always going to be okay. And we want to believe that we will always be safe and at ease. But there are times when we have to face terrifying things and we, we realize that we're not up to it, right? We realize that we cannot do the things that need to be done. We cannot provide for the needs that we have all on our own. We don't have the power to overcome every fearful thing that arises. And we realize in these moments of desperation and need that we, we need help, right? This is the truth of our lives. We need help. We need God. We need grace. And that is what we see in this story, okay? But now, in this experience of need that, that the different characters experience, right? there is a meaningful distinction between the reasons that the different people seek Jesus out for help. The distinction that I sort of was thinking about um, is that Jairus comes to Jesus to get help for his loved one, his, his daughter. But the woman who touches Jesus' cloak, she seeks Jesus out um, to get help for herself. Mm -hmm. A lot of us find it very hard to ask for help at all. It is not easy to put yourself out there like that, no matter what kind of help you're asking for. 
Um, but we may believe, we may have internalized this, the concept that it's okay to seek out help for other people. It's, it's less okay to seek out help um, for ourselves. We don't want to be selfish, right? Uh, we don't want to say that our needs, that our hardship is important. Okay, so th think about the plan that the lady who is bleeding has devised, right? So that no, but she, she has thought this through, right? And she is prepared and she's trying to execute this, this whole scheme of hers so that nobody has to be put out by her need. She's thinking, okay, I'm not going to talk to Jesus, okay? I'm not going to take up even a spot in line. Jesus won't have to stop, okay? He won't actually have to deal with me. I'm not going to interrupt him. He's a very important person. He's very busy, right? I don't, this is like the people who are like, I don't want to pray for my thing that I'm going through because God's got so much other stuff to deal with and I don't want to just like my stuff like I shouldn't be praying for right this is the same kind of mentality right and this lady is like I, Jesus is so important I'm not going to take away from all the important things that Jesus needs to do if I could just get close to him right just touch his cloak just touch his cloak that's all I need right and this woman has internalized a message that she doesn't matter right and she's playing that part even as she seeks help okay but of course jesus does stop and he just does attend to her he seeks her out he speaks to her despite her intention to remain anonymous right she she was she was thinking that Jesus wouldn't even need to know she was there, right? But he essentially, by, by speaking to her and attending to her and connecting with her, he essentially says to her, you matter. You matter. Your life, your pain, your story matters. It really does. Okay? And it's good that you are here today acting in faith. This very striving in faith is what has made you well, and it was it is what will keep you well. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying to her. He then proceeds to the house of Jairus, and by now, of course, as we said, they're telling him not to bother. It's too late. You know, don't don't even, you don't even have to come now, okay? Imagine the anguish, the anguish of the girl's parents. I, I struggle to imagine what that feeling is. Um, it's, it's a terrifying thought for me as a parent, okay? Jesus does not hesitate to enter that house and to share that space of devastation he does not turn away from the trauma okay in your worst experience of trauma and devastation jesus will not turn away you can still bring him into your house okay we need to remember this mm-hmm Okay, 
he raises the girl. She is restored before their very eyes. Okay. Now there is something here that is quite extraordinary for us to consider. This is a story that shows Jesus' power over death. And it shows that God's care for us goes further and lasts longer than death. Okay. We know that sometimes in illness we pray for healing. And the physical affliction is not taken away is not relieved. We know sometimes we fear death and we pray and death comes anyway, right? We know that when people die, generally speaking, they are buried, okay? God's power over death is something that we have to trust because death is the reality, right, for all of us. And this is the only story in the Gospel of Mark, in which a person is seen to be raised from the dead. Okay, but friends, that <laughs> is the extraordinary thing. Okay, this is the only resurrection that is witnessed in the entire book of the Gospel of Mark. Okay, in the Gospel of Mark, the resurrection of Jesus himself is not described. It is not seen by people. Okay? Now, some people are like, what? What are you talking about? What? Okay. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus predicts his own death, and he says that he will be raised. Okay. But on Easter Sunday, this is in the Gospel of Mark, okay? not talking about the other Gospels in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Mark on Easter Sunday, the women who go to anoint Jesus' body simply find the tomb empty. They never see Jesus resurrected. In fact, no one does. Okay. If you read the Gospel of Mark in your Bible, go ahead. Some people are watching this right now. They're like flipping to the end. Wait a second. What are you talking about? Right? Um, there is a brief scene at the end of the Gospel of Mark in which the resurrected Jesus visits the disciples in the flesh. They see him, they talk to him. But if you are looking at that in your Bible right now, you will probably see a note that, uh, you know, on that page, the last page of the Gospel of Mark, that this section about Jesus interacting with the disciples after he's raised from the dead, that that was actually added to the Gospel of Mark later, maybe even hundreds of years later, okay? The original book, the original Gospel of Mark, does not show Jesus resurrected, okay? The only person that the Gospel of Mark shows being raised from the dead is the girl in the story that we read today. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, like, whoa, right? Christ's resurrection is attested to, but her resurrection is beheld. I don't know why the Gospel of Mark was written that way. I, I really don't. Um, but one thing that it illuminates for me is that God's 
power to heal and Christ's victory over death. This is not power that sets God apart, right? This is not a power that says, okay, look how amazing and completely different and distinct and set apart God is because God has this kind of power. On the contrary, God's power to heal and Christ's victory over death is a power that brings God near. Okay, So resurrection is not for Jesus, not in some kind of exclusive way because Jesus is different. Jesus is special. Jesus matters. No, resurrection is for people. Resurrection is for people. Life beyond suffering and death is for people because God beholds us as her own. Okay, little girls, <laughs> parents and families, those who grieve, those who live with pain and shame and trauma, all of us who are coping with the frailty of the human condition, we are worthy to come before Jesus and ask for help. Friends, God's grace, God's power, Christ's victory over death, the almighty love of the Holy One is for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.